Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed. Changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of Jesus' world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Less than 48 hours ago, I found myself in Kigali, Rwanda, asking the Lord for courage. I found myself in Kigali, Rwanda, asking the Lord for courage as I was about to do, I think, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Courage to leave my 18-year-old daughter behind in Rwanda as she begins her internship with the Anglican Church in Rwanda. Courage to leave my child in Africa. Courage. You know, what's fascinating as we come to Christ the King Sunday and we complete today our series walking through the book of Acts. We've spent the majority of this year walking through the book of Acts. I'm coming to believe that the reason Luke wrote Acts the way he did was for this very reason, to call the church to courage. That Luke wrote for us a story full of courageous faith so that courageous faith would be inspired within us. We'd realize that this book of Acts isn't really a story about them, but in fact, it's truly a story about us. See, Acts has all the way through this through line of courage. You see courage right at the beginning on the day of Pentecost as the witnesses go out boldly in the streets, as Peter preaches his first Pentecost sermon. You see courage as Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the same council that put Jesus to death. You see courage as Stephen is martyred. You see courage as Philip reaches out in radical cross-cultural evangelism. You see courage as Ananias comes to lay hands on the murderous Saul of Tarsus to pray that his healing would come to him, his eyes would be restored and could become the apostle to the Gentiles. We see courage in three missionary journeys. The gospel going out to the known world. We see courage in the midst of riots, courage in the midst of imprisonment, courage in the midst of trials, courage in the midst of a shipwreck, courage even to the very end. So if you turn with me to the very end of Acts, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, the last two verses that Luke wrote, we see courage even here. Acts 28, verse 30 and 31, Paul was there, lived there in Rome at his own expense for a whole two years, welcoming all who came to him and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's how the book ends. This story of courageous faith ends on this final point of boldly proclaiming the gospel, a courageous ending. See, Luke, I'm convinced, is writing these stories of courageous faith so that we will be inspired 
to live into the lives of courageous faith we've been called to. Here's what Luke is effectively saying to the church, I think, through the book of Acts, and certainly right here to the end. He's saying to the church this. He says, church, be of good courage because Jesus is still at work. Be of good courage because Jesus is still working in this world. And be of good courage specifically what his work is, is he's winning the world to himself. Jesus is winning back his kingdom to himself. But friends, it's not just that Luke is saying be of good courage because Jesus is at work in the world and be of good courage because Jesus is winning back the world. But be of good courage because he's doing it with us, through us, right now in this generation. He is still at work, winning the world to himself with us. See, first, we see that Luke's saying, be of good courage. Jesus is still at work. Look at that verse 31. We're told that Paul is proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom, teaching about Jesus. And then there's this key word. He says, without hindrance. The last word of the book, without hindrance. And you want to say, Really, Luke? He's under house arrest. He's got a Roman guard with him everywhere he goes. He's yet again in a form of imprisonment. And you're saying that this is all happening without hindrance. It's a strange way to end this book unless you've been reading this book. Because if we've seen anything in the book of Acts, it's this. Acts again and again has showed us that there is no obstacle that can stand in the way of the gospel. There is no obstacle that can stand in the way of the kingdom of God proclamation going forward. There is no obstacle that can ultimately undercut this work. Jesus is at work and no obstacle can stand against him. You see, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 9. Paul will actually write 2 Timothy, the letter in our Bibles, while he's imprisoned in Rome. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says this. He says, though I am in chains for the gospel, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. You got to remember back at the very beginning of this book. The reason the word of God is not bound is because Jesus is the one that is still doing the work in this world. He's the one that has the power to bring about his gospel. Remember Acts chapter 1, 1, the very first week we started this series, we looked at that first verse and it's a transition verse between the two books that Luke wrote, the gospel of Luke, book one, and then book two, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's important we understand what he says in this transition verse because often people get this wrong. Here's what most people think when they look at the title, the gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles. They think the first book is about what Jesus did and taught in the world. And then the second book is about what the apostles did and taught in the world. And that would be fundamentally flawed because verse one, chapter one, verse one says this, that in my first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach up until the time he was taken up into heaven. Began to teach. In other words, what Luke is saying is book number one, the gospel of Luke, yeah, that's all about what Jesus did and taught. I was just beginning to tell the story about what Jesus was doing and teaching. And now in my second book, I'm gonna continue to tell you what Jesus is doing and speaking in this world. It truly is not right to title this the Acts of the Apostles. 
The best title for this perhaps would be the continuing acts of Jesus through the apostles. This is what God is doing. See, Jesus' ascension, when he is brought up in chapter one of Acts, this is not his great exit from the world, right? When he ascends into heaven, it is his enthronement over the world. Jesus ascending into heaven is taking his throne. As we celebrate today on Christ the King Sunday, Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling over his creation. And therefore, as he ascends into heaven, this doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow more absent from the world. In fact, it means he is more present in this world. Because of his reign over creation, he sends the Holy Spirit, his own spirit, out into the church so that we are now empowered by him. Jesus, for 33 years, the eternal son of God, came down in one body, in one place, and lived among us. But now, resurrected, ascended into heaven, enthroned, he now sends out his spirit so he can be in you and in you and in you and in everyone around this world, filling his creation, suddenly exponentially present in this world. This is what it means that Jesus is continuing to work. Be of good courage because Jesus is continuing to work in this world. And it's important we recognize this. It's important that we recognize that final word Luke gives us here in Acts that says this is going forth without hindrance. Because friends, it's really easy for us to see all the hindrances to the gospel. We look in our lives and we look in the world and we see all kinds of things to be afraid of, things that threaten our families, things that threaten our churches, things that threaten our country and our world. And we can so easily focus in on those things and begin to think maybe this is really too much. And yet we need to remember that this is Jesus doing his work. Death could not stop Jesus of Nazareth. He rose from the dead in victory. So whatever that other thing that you see in your life that you think is a threat, a threat to the gospel in your family, in your community, in this world, if death could not stop Jesus, then fill in the blank cannot stop Jesus either. His gospel goes forth into this world in power. any threat, any at all. You know, going to Rwanda now for the third time, Bishop Allen and I were talking about this earlier. He's been 26 times. So I thought I'd gone a lot of times. So 26 times, I've gone three times. And every time we go, we've gone to the Rwandan genocide memorial, which is so important to go and, and, and see and, and participate in. And it's, it's, it's powerful and horrifying and moving. Remembering that back in 1994, as the world looked on, and frankly, most of the world did nothing about it, you watch over 100 days, over 900,000 Rwandans kill one another over ethnic challenges and prejudices. But you've seen a country that since 94 has rebuilt and has gone through a powerful period of peace and reconciliation. And so as you go to the memorial, you, you see this work of reconciliation and rebuilding going on. But here's the thing. Every time I've gone, the memorial is, is powerful and profound. This time, I had two of my daughters with me. And I said, well, I'll just walk you through the memorial. I'll give you my own tour. I've, I've been here. And I you know, said, so this is going to be hard. And, and all of a sudden, one of the pastors, one of the Rwandan pastors showed up. And he said, the archbishop sent me to go with you on the tour. And I said, oh, Okay. 
And I said, well, that's really okay. You don't have to stay. I mean, I've been here a couple times. I know how to do this. You know, if you want to go do something else, he says, I'm, you know, the archbishop said I'm going to come. So, I mean, he's a good Anglican. He listens to the bishop. And, and so he said, he said, I'm going to lead you on the tour. I had no idea what we were in for. The reason the archbishop had sent this pastor was that Eric is a genocide survivor. 42 years of age, he was 14 at the time of the genocide. So as he walked us through the memorial, he told us his own story of walking through the genocide, of watching his family murdered. And how he survived was a miracle. But here's even the greater miracle as he shared his story. He pulled out his phone and he showed me his family. There's his wife and his kids. And Eric is pastoring one of the churches that we built in Rwanda. A person who can go through that kind of horror, that kind of threat to humanity, and yet can be standing here today proclaiming the good news of what God is doing in this world. Genocides and persecutions and wars and famines and everything else that can come at us as threats to the gospel in our lives, they cannot prevail Because as Jesus was risen from the dead, he now declares his victory over any obstacle that comes before his gospel. This is why Luke ends with that word, without hindrance. It is the word for the church today. We go forward with the gospel without hindrance, not because we've got it together, but because he's got it together. Not because we've figured it out, but because he is risen from the dead. And he is at work in his world today. Be of good courage church today. Jesus is still working. But what he's working at is winning the world to himself, winning back his world. Look at what verse 31 says. It says, Paul says, Luke says that, I'm sorry, I think it's like about 10 o'clock at night right now, so I'm not exactly sure whether it's Luke or Paul or who wrote it. But Luke says in verse 31, I woke up at four o'clock this morning and I wanted to have lunch. So that's just where my head's at right now. But Luke says in verse 31 that Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we need to remember, especially on Christ the King Sunday, and I would argue every day of our lives, what it means that we're declaring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is central to the gospel. It is the very heart of the gospel. It was the center of Jesus' own teaching. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom more than any other topic. He talked about the kingdom of God 158 times within the gospels. More than he talked about sin, more than he talked about love, more than he talked about salvation. Because the kingdom of God is the answer to sin. It is the way towards salvation and it is where we see the love of God expressed. The kingdom of God is at the very heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter one, verse 15, as he begins his earthly ministry, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. This kingdom is the inbreaking of God's reign and rule. This is the inbreaking of Jesus' reign over his cosmos. Jesus putting the world back together as the good and rightful king. Look at the collect we just read a few moments ago. The collect, which is our collect for Christ the King Sunday. I think this collect could be cut out of your bulletin and pasted into the front of your Bible so you could pray this prayer every day. For Christ the King is not really one Sunday of the year. Every Sunday is 
a celebration of Christ being the king. Listen to what we're praying here. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved son, the king of kings and the lords of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Friends, we are, as we proclaim the kingdom of God, proclaiming an invasion, proclaiming an inbreaking reign and rule of God that is imminent, that is happening right now more and more in our world. God has come into the world in the person of his son to put the world back together and he's doing it life by life, community by community. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse six, the church is accused of turning the world upside down. It's turning the world upside down. Do you know why? What what the main charge was? That they're ignoring Caesar and declaring another king, Jesus. That the church was acknowledging that there is one true king and it is under his banner alone that the world will be fixed and saved and put together. He is winning that world back to himself. I mean, it's, it's what we're about to celebrate as we come to Advent now. This season that's about getting ready for Christmas, right? That's what Advent's about, right? No, Advent is not about getting your Christmas lights up. It's not about going shopping on Black Friday. It's not about all those other things. Advent is preparing for the return of the king. Advent is a season where we prepare for the king's full and final return where his kingdom will be brought fully to bear in our world. It's breaking in now, and the day will come when it will be fully consummated in our seeing and hearing, and we will behold it. Isaiah chapter 9. To us, a son is born. To us, a child is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom, of his peace, there will be no end, and he will reign over the house of David and over the kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is what we believe about this king. Christ, our king, who is putting the world right. Or to quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. And by the way, I checked. I know I quote Narnia a lot. This quote I haven't used all year long. So here you go. This has not been used in 2022. It was used multiple times in every other year. But Mr. Beaver, speaking of Aslan, the Christ figure in Narnia, speaking about what it will be when that Christ figure, that king should return. He says, wrong shall be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows shall be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter knows its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. This is really what Paul is describing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, when he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That in Jesus coming among us, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, bearing everything wrong on us, going to death and hell in our place and then rising in victory and now ascended as king over all, 
that what he is doing is reconciling heaven and earth. He's making that which was wrong, right. He's making that which was unholy, holy. He's making that which was estranged, close and near and family. He's reconciling the world to himself. This is what he's doing in our generation, in our day, life by life, family by family, community by community. I know it's easy to focus on the negative. It's easy to pay attention to all the signs of negativity in the world, isn't it? We see them all the time. It's easy to see the signs of everything gone bad, but do we see the signs of things going beautiful? It's easy to see the things that are signs of wickedness in this world, but are you able to see the signs of God winning back his world in the person of his son? Those signs are there if we have eyes to behold it. It was interesting this week going to Nyabakenki. We visited the rural village of Nyabakenki back in 2019 when we first went to Rwanda to begin this partnership. And I remember going to Nyabakenki and seeing the picture of this little tiny church. I mean, the church in Nyabakenki, I think, is, was literally maybe the size of the altar platform. It was just this run-down, tiny little church that nobody could get into. And it was in one of the most impoverished areas. Just total, total economic depravity. And, and that church was so tiny. Do you know what the people in Nyabakenki called it? They said, it's the tiny church. And in Kenya wanted it implies more of like the pathetically tiny church. In fact, they had a saying that I don't think quite translates into English, but it's quite funny in Kenya Rwandan that says the lettering on the church was bigger than the church. <laughs> and so when we arrived this week to officially open the new church, a huge, beautiful church filled with people. Do you know what all the community told us? They said, we used to be called the tiny church, the pathetically tiny church. He said, they said, you know what we're called now? We're called the beautiful church. And the town fills that church and lives are being transformed and the community is growing around this church. Schools are being built. The whole town is being transformed because the gospel is in breaking into that place. The kingdom is becoming more present in that place. And when I was asked to pray over that new church, I mean, talk about how humbling it is to see Christ Church Plano's name on the plaque on that church. I had no words except for Mark chapter one, verse 15. I said, clearly the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. This is what's happening. We're seeing it in our midst. The kingdom breaking in and changing the world. Jesus at work winning back the world to himself. But it's not just that Jesus is still at work and that he's winning the world back to himself. But friends, Luke wants us to be of good courage. We need to be of good courage. We need to remember our courage because he's doing it with us. He's doing it with us in our generation. You notice how the book ends? It ends a little strange, right? It ends on this final note with Paul under house arrest in Rome and that's it. And you want to say, doesn't it feel a little unfinished to you? Some have said it was intentional. 
that Luke kind of left it open-ended. Some have just said it's providential, but regardless, here's what we have. That a story that does not include the death of either Peter or Paul, the two sort of pillars of the church, will forever feel somewhat unfinished. And that's exactly what Acts is, unfinished. Because the intention has been from the beginning that Acts does not end at verse 31 of chapter 28, but chapters continue to be written in generation after generation in your life and mine. Continual chapters being written of God breaking into the world with his kingdom with us now, through us now. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, after Paul says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. That God is working in our generation through us to continue to see his kingdom break in this world. Jesus is at work now in you. These chapters continue to be written. Your life is yet another chapter in the book of Acts being written where God gets the glory for what he's doing in this world. He's still performing this story and he continues to cast the likes of you and me in this story in our generation. And let's just remember, our world is not that different from their world. I mean, we're becoming more and more pagan, aren't we? It looks more and more like the book of Acts. And we're not that different than they are, these flawed, ordinary disciples. We, like them, have been cast. I love how ordinary and flawed they are, and yet the power of God. I mean, look at Peter and John. They're too too uneducated. Barnabas is too forgiving, and Mark is too flaky. Paul is too murderous, and Ananias is too prejudiced. James is too Jewish. And Cornelius and Timothy and Apollos are too Greek. Lydia is too busy with her fabric business. Phoebe and Theophilus are too rich. Eutychus was too sleepy. Dorcas was too dead. And yet God cast them all. He used them all to write chapters of his work in this world. And now he's writing our chapters. Those words that are spoken over Paul by Ananias in Acts chapter nine, verse 15, when he lays his hands on that murderous, now converted Saul and says, you are my God. God is saying, this is my instrument to carry my name among the Gentiles and among the kings and nations of the earth. That word is being spoken over you and I in our generation. God's instruments to carry his name into this world. So I continued to pray for courage and got on the plane in Kigali. And as I sat down, I opened up my laptop uh, and was working on this sermon, which I had begun two weeks earlier before I left Dallas. And there was the opening phrase that I'd written two weeks earlier. Father Jonathan and I had been working on it together. Be of good courage. 
Jesus is still at work, winning the world to himself, and he's doing it with us. And I read those words and suddenly found my courage. And I wiped my tears. And I began the 33-hour journey home to come and stand before you today and ask you, do you realize that your life is a chapter in the book of Acts that God is continuing to write in our generation? Sophie's life in Rwanda, leaving her behind in Africa, that is a chapter in the book of Acts that God is writing in his world for his glory. And so it is for you and so it is for me. Friends, this is why we come to church. So that we can remember which story we're a part of. So that we can remember whose story we are a part of. And so that we can find again our courage. For in the words spoken by the Lord over Joshua, he speaks over us still today. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.